On today's show, our guests are Rodney Croom, Davina Potter and April Holcomb joins us. And we do have Rodney Croom on the line. Rodney, welcome to the show. Hi, James. Thanks for having me on. Always great to chat. Big week. This week, the Prime Minister introduced the Religious Discrimination Bill into Parliament. What can you tell us about its contents? What we've heard uh, from the government is that the latest iteration of its Religious Discrimination Bill is uh, a compromise position, that it's watered down, that it's perfectly normal, there's nothing to see here, and that couldn't be further from the truth. This bill uh, may lack a couple of the nasty provisions that were in the previous drafts, but it more than makes up for it in other areas. So, um, for instance, there's not the specific Falau clause uh, or the same for our clause that we had in the previous draft that would allow people to say whatever they want regardless of the, their company's policies on social media use and all the rest. Um, and it also doesn't have the clause which allowed healthcare providers to discriminate against whoever they wanted in the provision of healthcare on the grounds of their religious belief. But it still does have um, a section called uh, Statements of Belief, um, the same as the previous drafts, which allows people to say derogatory and humiliating things in any context, as long as they have a religious belief behind it, um, and for those religious beliefs to supersede any existing law or policy that might try, try and restrain them. Um, that section specifically overrides the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Act because it has the strongest protections against humiliating and intimidating language. But any anti-discrimination law that seeks to restrain people from saying derogatory uh, and demeaning things would be overridden. Um, and uh, another concern of the existing bill is that it has very wide exemptions for religious organisations to be able to discriminate. Um, the discrimination which is allowed is on the grounds of religion, but um, the definitions are so wide and the tests are so lax that that could allow uh, discrimination against LGBTIQ plus people or any number of other people who fall foul of religious of traditional religious dogma. And here we're talking about, say, teachers uh, working in religious schools or um, or. Uh, Staff members of other faith-based organisations like hospitals, charities or old age homes, even potentially students at um, faith-based schools. Uh, and again, um, the impact will be felt most in those states that already have or will soon have some kind of protections for those people, namely Tasmania, uh, which has the strongest protections, uh, the ACT, and soon Victoria, which is passing a law to protect those people. So um, the Commonwealth would directly override state laws protecting LGBTIQ plus staff in faith-based organisations uh, and potentially students as well. Um, on top of that, the final point with the Religious Discrimination Bill is that um, it continues to restrict the capacity of professional registering bodies 
um, bodies that sort of um, look over, look oversee standards in 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 professions like uh, um, doctors or nurses or teachers or whatever it might be. Um, it restrains those bodies from from taking action when one of their members uh, treats someone else in a discriminatory or derogatory way. Again, in the name of religion, um, and it. Uh, it restrains their ability to discipline those people. Those people will be able to say whatever they want, even if it causes harm to their fellow staff members or their clients or whatever it might be. So, in essence, the Religious Discrimination Bill, despite the fact that we're told by the Prime Minister that it will prevent discrimination against people of faith, uh, what it continues to do, as the previous draft did, is allow discrimination and denigration in the name of faith. What are your thoughts on the symbolism of the Prime Minister personally introducing the bill into, into Parliament? It really gives the impression, doesn't it, that the bill reflects his beliefs? Yes. It really is his hobby horse. Um, he is, uh, his title is Prime Minister, but um, his actions show that he's being a religious activist in this regard. Um, and, uh, yes, he, he's, it's clear from his speech that he believes that uh, the views of people like himself are under threat and that somehow um, there need to be car- for some reason there need to be carve outs in the law to allow to allow him to say and do what he wants um, and that's a critical point uh, the bill is sold to us in the name of freedom we're told that it would increase freedom in Australian society but that's not true at all it um, allows some people uh, people like the Prime Minister, for instance, who have conservative religious views, to say and do what they want, to denigrate people and discriminate against people, rights that other people don't have. No other Australians will have the right to denigrate and discriminate, but people like the Prime Minister would. Um, so it's not about uh, freedom, it's about privilege. It's about giving some people special privileges. Um, and I'd, I would go so far as to say it's not even really about religion. I mean, this bill doesn't give Christians the right to take in refugees into their homes. It doesn't give them the right to take from the rich to give to the poor, you know, things that Jesus would say yes to. It gives people the right to denigrate and discriminate. So it's not just that it's about privilege, it's about privilege for prejudice. It's a bit of a risky political strategy, don't you think, for the Prime Minister? He can't really campaign on trust anymore. Most Australians don't buy that. So he's framing, framing himself around you know, this image of the man of God. Um, that could potentially alienate quite a few Australians, particularly when you look at the content of this bill and just how many people would, would suffer as a result of it. The more that Australians become aware of what's in this bill, the more uh, it's on the nose. Um, I, I've, I do quite a bit of public speaking on this legislation, um, including the people of faith. And yes, it doesn't. It's not a bill that people passionately support, and they don't. They don't really see the need for it. They know that there's no great threat to religious freedom in Australia at the moment. The prime minister can obviously say whatever he wants in terms of his religion. No one's stopping him. Um, and when they learn about the um, impact on people who continue to suffer, suffer stigma, including religious stigma, then they're horrified. And we're not just talking about LGBTIQ plus people there. We're talking about women. Uh, we're talking about people with disability. We're talking about people in minority faiths, people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, and even Indigenous people who still, unfortunately, suffer stigma um, uh, uh, in terms of their traditional culture being labelled satanic by some evangelicals. So... Um, 
Yes, there's a whole range of people in Australian society who uh, will have their existing protections taken away. Um, and talking as a Tasmanian here, I, I, I really want to emphasise that this isn't hypothetical. This is about real people now. Like I said, in Tasmania um, and as, as soon in Victoria, uh, LGBTIQ plus teachers and staff members in faith-based schools and other faith-based services uh, have protections under the law. They've had protections to, that, uh, to discrimination in Tasmania for 23 years. Um, I am friends with teachers, gay teachers, in Tasmanian uh, faith-based schools, and they are terrified. They have come out. Um, some of them have got married to their partners. Um, they're out in the classroom. Everyone knows they're gay uh, because they believe that they were safe, that they had a legal protection from discrimination. Now, with the threat of the Commonwealth coming in and overriding that, suddenly they're walking around with big targets on their foreheads. Um, it, this affects real people now. It's making people deeply anxious about their job security and about workplace culture right now. Um, it's not some kind of abstract debate about religious freedom versus anti-discrimination laws, as some people make it out to be. It's actually affecting people on the ground. And yet the Prime Minister said this week the bill would give people certainty and confidence. Uh, you can't really trust what he says, can you? Well, he's coming at it, in his defence, he's coming at it from a very different perspective. Um, he lives in a state where there have never been those kinds of protections, so he probably... And he, he believes in the right of religious organisations to be able to select staff according to their ethos, and that probably doesn't include LGBTIQ plus staff in many cases. Um, and he wants to give... What he's saying is he wants to give those religious organisations certainty that they can discriminate. Um, but the point is that religious organisations like schools and hospitals and aged aged old age homes are funded by the taxpayer to provide an essential service um, and to provide Australians with a choice about where they get those services from, state-run services or, or government-run services or religious-run services. And overwhelmingly, Australians expect those faith-based services to be run uh, up to the same standards as government services. And that includes the same standards when it comes to anti-discrimination law. They shouldn't be able to discriminate against clients, staff, in the case of schools, students and teachers, um, most Australians agree with that. Um, and that's the kind of certainty uh, that we need in our law. We need, to, we need our laws to reflect those community values. Um, the Prime Minister's values that organisations should be able to hire and fire whoever they like is not what the majority of Australians believe today. Um, sometimes it feels like this bill is not just a bill for religious freedom, so-called, but a bill against contemporary Australia. It's almost like a cry of rage against what Australia has become, a more tolerant and inclusive society, particularly since marriage equality. That was certainly the tipping point for a lot of these people. It's a, it's a cry of rage against that inclusive Australia and they just want to roll back the clock with this bill. What do you make of the Labor Party's half-cooked response this week to the legislation? They support it in principle. We still don't know if they're going to vote for it, and we're still not quite sure what amendments they're going to amendments they're going to move, if any. Yeah, well, talking about a cry of rage, um, <laughs> I've heard a lot of LGBTIQ Australians uh, crying out in rage against the Labor Party uh, in the last week because um, the, the religious discrimination bill 
attacks and undermines all of Australia's anti-discrimination laws. Almost all of those laws were passed by Labor governments. They're almost all Labor Party legacies. The Labor Party, um, a key part of Labor identity over the last 40 years in Australia is support for anti-discrimination laws. And yet here we have this bill, the biggest attack on these laws, uh, anti-discrimination laws ever in Australia, and the Labor Party is mute. It refuses to stand up for those laws. It refuses to condemn the the, uh, religious discrimination bill. Um, And it says, all it can say is, oh, we support religious freedom. We don't want to see people lose any protections. And then it goes mute. Um, This small target strategy it's it's playing, it might think it's very clever. It might think, oh, it'll mean that we don't lose some votes in Western Sydney. Um, maybe it will, maybe it won't, I don't know. But I know what the cost is, and the cost is um, two years now of of constant wearying anxiety about what this bill will do to us, to LGBTIQ plus people, plus all the other people I mentioned before. Um, the fact that Labor hasn't stood up to this bill uh, means that we're constantly worrying about whether it will come into effect and whether our rights will be rolled back. Labor is just its spineless not spinelessness on this is terrible and what's more when we saw this week Anthony Albanese say that he didn't know of any gay or lesbian teachers who'd been sacked by Catholic schools I assume in New South Wales um, again the rage I saw from LGBTIQ plus people who used to work for Catholic schools in New South Wales and have been sacked it's a fact that that happens all the time um, and his willful ignorance of that is a betrayal of the LGBTIQ plus community. Um, I hope people in New South Wales are onto him right now to educate him about that. And I desperately hope that Labor grows a spine and decides it's it's time to come out against this bill. Um, I'm not confident that that will happen. I'm hopeful, though. Um, and we will be doing everything we can over the next few months to make sure that Labor knows if it doesn't come out against this bill, it will lose votes, particularly in the inner city. It's interesting. I mean, it's like Albanese's outsource his outrage to Dan Andrews, who said that his government will has vowed to fight any attempts to override our state uh, discrimination law. Yep. Good on Dan Andrews. That was fantastic, and it was um, it was timely and overdue. Sorry, there can't be both of those things. It was uh, well nigh time that Dan Andrews uh, stood up to this bill. Um, previous iterations of this bill would also have overridden Victorian law. So it's good to see that um, finally the Andrews government has said that they will stand up to it. Um, I was pleased to see that Tasmanian Premier also said that uh, they don't want to, he doesn't want to see our Anti-Discrimination Act weakened, but... He hasn't gone so far yet as to say that they'll look at a high court challenge. Um, I'll be urging, together with my colleagues in Just Equal, we'll be urging all of the state premiers to look at the impacts of this bill on state laws because it affects every state and territory. And hopefully all of the states and territories can get together with uh, Dan Andrews and Peter Gutwin and stand up to uh, Scott Morrison. Were you disappointed that none of the coalition's rainbow MPs actually stood up in the party room, in the Liberal Party room, this week and reserved their right to cross the floor on this legislation? Was I disappointed that none of them did? Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty tepid response from them, don't you think? Um, Well, I'm going to select a couple of members who I think did actually make 
did actually reserve their right, um, and that is uh, um, Bridget Archer, who's a Liberal MP from Tasmania, Federal MP, and uh, Trent Zimmerman, who's a Liberal MP from North Sydney, both of whom I understand did actually stand up and reserve their right to cross the floor and may well have been intending to. Um, so, uh, and I'm not sure about Warren Inch, but I'm, I've heard different uh, perspectives on what, he, on what he said, but one perspective was that he made the same commitment. So um, uh, I think there are some Liberals there who are standing up to the Prime Minister. Um, it could always be stronger, for sure, um, and, uh, and I hope that they will take a stronger stance, particularly those who we haven't heard a lot from, like Tim Wilson or um, uh, uh, Trevor Evans in Brisbane um, and other LGBTIQ members of the Liberal Caucus. But, um, yeah, I understand that Bridget Archer and the others, that they did stand up to the Prime Minister and uh, that I, for that I applaud them. Of course, the government's saying they're going to flick this to a Senate inquiry. Uh, should we have faith in that? And, you know, I mean, it's just a delay tactic, kicking the can again, isn't it, down the, down the alley? Um, well, it is a delaying tactic, I, I guess, but it has an upside, and that is that um, we'll be able to show just how onerous this bill is bill is and to expose the um, the damage that it will cause. The bill is written um, according to the legal experts I've spoken to uh, in, in quite a tricky way. It can be hard to know exactly what it's doing until you've read the whole thing and you've put together different pieces of it, almost like a jigsaw, um, and you can see exactly what it's going to do. Um, and the more you do that, the worse it gets. So hopefully an inquiry will be able to expose that and expose the damage it, this will do, particularly to communities who, who, who haven't got enough attention uh, on this issue. Um, the government wants to frame it as God versus the gays, and there's a lot of LGBTIQ plus spokespeople out there talking about this, as there should be. Um, but we need to hear more from disability advocates, Indigenous advocates, minority faith advocates for the damage about the damage it will do to their communities and a an inquiry is a way to do that i'm glad to see that it's also it's actually been sent to an inquiry already i understand just this afternoon it's been sent to the um joint parliamentary human rights committee um which has some very supportive members on it uh for instance graham parrott mp from from queensland who's always been a, a strong ally of the LGBTIQ community um, and others. So I'm hopeful that it'll be a balanced inquiry. And like I said, that it'll expose some of the, the more extreme and deleterious impacts of this bill. So that means we're not going to see a vote on this in the House of Reps next week? Well, I also understand, as well as it being sent to an inquiry, that it's still on the notice paper. So <laughs> it might happen. I really... Uh, Parliament at the moment seems to be all over the place. Um, I expect that there won't be a vote because it's gone to an inquiry, but it's still on the notice paper, so maybe there will be. We might know more about that on Monday. Rodney Crim, thanks for your time. Always wonderful to chat with you on 3CR. Thanks, James. Rodney Crim, there you are on In Your Face on 3CR with James, and here are the Eurogliders.
You were glad as there. Heaven must be there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Joined by Davina Potter, who is the co-convener of the Victorian uh, Pride Lobby. Davina, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to have you on board. Now, you've done a survey, the lobby's done a survey of LGBTIQA plus community attitudes towards the police in Victoria, and you've done a report. What did the community tell the lobby? Yeah, so this report is basically after a survey of uh, 1,400 queer Victorians. Um, it's the biggest survey of its kind, and it presents new data related to uh, the community's experience. So the findings indicate there's a long way to go for the police to gain the community's trust, and for that to happen, there's a need for both attitudinal and systemic change. And this was basically um, on the basis of uh, a few questions about their own experiences, um, their own feelings about their own interactions with the police, and also their reactions to more public incidents as well. So what did people tell the lobby about their sense of safety around the police? Yeah, so um, I can start with some like basic statistics from that we got from the survey. Um, so four in five LGBTIQ plus Victorians don't trust police officers to use reasonable power. And the same figures who think that police don't make an effort to understand the issues related to them. Um, two in three said that they felt that they were treated unfairly by the police. And, um, like, a lot of high-profile incidents, as I mentioned earlier, such as the breaches of Danny Laidley's privacy um, and the botch raid on hairs and hyenas, um, they eroded trust in conjunction with a lot of negative personal interactions with the police. Was it more regionally based than an outer suburban based, or was it, you know, just across geographic areas? Um, We received responses from a wide range of places, so not just metropolitan. We also received responses from people who were living regionally, um, people who wrote to us about their specific experiences also, again, lived in a wide variety of places. We tried to get as um, wide a reach as possible. We put out the survey to um, a large network of people in the queer community. Um, and as a result, there's a lot of very interesting sort of uh, responses and a, a, a very large spread across the demographic of sexuality and gender and um, uh, sorry, gender identity as well as um, your, their cultural backgrounds as well. And I imagine a lot of people feel very misunderstood by the police and they in turn affect how they are policed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even with um, LLOs who are officers specifically trained to um, uh, deal with a particular um, questions and concerns that the community might have, even um, they came under um, some scrutiny um, from people who responded to this survey. Um, they felt that uh, a lot of their concerns were not addressed properly or they felt they were being disrespected. Um, yeah, so it, I think even in the instances where um, the police have said that they are doing their best to reach out to the community, um, community members are saying that they're not feeling welcome. Um, I think one of the most uh, worrying and concerning things is that after all these kinds of incidents and personal experiences, you know, that have ranged in severity, uh, it seems that the majority of queer Victorians who responded to this survey are deterred from seeking help from police at all. Uh, And that includes interactions with LLOs. How have the police here in Victoria responded to the lobby's report? So we've received um, some response from them directly to the report and we have had communication with them leading up to the release of this report as well. Um, basically, uh, Victoria Police says that they are listening to those concerns. Um, they've also um, 
offered to have um, continuing conversations with the community in the form of town halls. Um, we're communicating with them our concerns, particularly about education of police officers. Um, we, one of the recommendations that we had in the report was that we feel that the um, training modules that they currently have for non-LLO officers be made compulsory for everyone. Um, and, yeah, this is, like, one of the things, like, you know, it, of all the uh, 11 recommendations that we have in the report, um, we feel that it's really important that they pay attention to those. It's not just... There's a lot of short and long-term goals in there, um, and it's not going to happen overnight. There, there, there's nothing really that can be a quick fix uh, for something that, you know, requires a lot of conversations and consultations with both individual people in the community as well as organisations to understand how to move forward. Tell us a bit more about the 11 recommendations. Okay, so with the recommendations, um, there's basically... If this ranges from, like, policy recommendations to um, actual actions that the police can take. Um, you may have seen a lot of the coverage of this report is basically... Um, Centering around one of the recommendations, which is um, a large response that we got, which was to ask that Victoria Police not march in uniform at uh, Midsummer and other Pride events. Um, this recommendation was made in line with not only with the um, sentiment that we got in the report, um, but also in line with ongoing conversations in the queer community at large, both in Australia and internationally, uh, where there's been lots of discussion about what it means to have uniformed police in Pride, uh, whether people feel safe, and whether, like, you know, Pride started as a protest. Um, and the police are welcome as community members out of uniform to, as, like, you know, and a lot of police officers are also queer themselves and they worry about you know what that means in terms of being welcomed but that's the thing like we see um pride as a community event and you know at first the, the the identification and being an ally comes first and the safety of our community comes first and that's why um you know we wanted to get the temperature read on what people felt about that um but yeah so that was one of the recommendations uh, as I mentioned before, training is also something else that we um, wanted to really strongly recommend in the long term. Um, another is also just considering those major events that have happened. Um, so Danny Laidley was um, doxxed without her consent um, during her arrest last year. Um, we've also had the Hares and Hyenas raid, um, uh, upon which, you know, there was an IVAC investigation but there wasn't really any critical, um, you know, recommendations taken by those findings to make sure that that doesn't happen again and that people don't feel unsafe when they're dealing with the police. I'm glad you mentioned the issue of the police uh, and Midsummer and, and Pride March because that was quite controversial earlier this year. And uh, it sounds like this report underscores the argument that police shouldn't march in uniform at Pride. Now, I know the lobbies had discussions with Midsummer about that very issue. Where's that at? Yeah, so we're looking forward to speaking them, with them again soon. We've had ongoing dialogue about this. Um, and as I mentioned before, we've had ongoing dialogue with the police. We're hopeful that, um, you know, both Midsummer and the Victorian Police will consider our recommendations in that regard. Um, we've also, you know, there, there's also other Pride events that are coming up um, in the next year um, in association with the 20-year anniversary of decriminalisation um, of homosexuality in Victoria. Um, and it's really important to bring up these issues now at a time 
when people are very conscious of the police's role in our communities and whether they should, you know, consider what their role is to play. So would it be fair to say that there hasn't been a decision made yet about whether or not police will march in uniform at Pride? There hasn't been any decisions made yet. This is something that, yeah, that we have to continue to have that conversation. I understand that there's going to be some, uh, you know, open consultation happening in the next few months um, with community organisations, and I hope these concerns are raised too. So 11 recommendations. How has the Victorian government responded? Sorry, I should say it's 13 recommendations, 13. not 11. <laughs> How's the government responded? I mean, presumably, you know, they're a stakeholder in this. Uh, yeah. What's been, what's been their response? Yes, so we've also, you know, as, as part of the Victorian Pride Lobby, we also communicate with um, ministers and also people who influence government policy as well. Um, we've, uh, we've sent the report to them and um, we've asked them to consider those recommendations. Again, like, you know, this, is, this report is, release is quite new and we're hoping to have those kind of constructive conversations leading towards, um, you know, some of those recommendations being considered, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, whether it be funding arrangements for the training for police um, or considering how to run community events um, involving the queer community as well. Awesome stuff. Davina Potter, thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Davina Potter there, co-convener of the Victorian Pride Lobby.
Die there, Teflon. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James, joined by April Holcomb from Community Action for Rainbow Rights in Sydney. April, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's always great to chat. You must feel under siege in New South Wales with the Religious Discrimination Bill and, of course, uh, Mark Latham's Education Bill and Religious Freedom Bill. Uh, Tell us about the community reaction. Yeah, tell me about feeling it under siege. I think understanding that there are more bills in waiting at the state level um, really puts in perspective what's happening with the religious discrimination bill federally. I think the whole community are outraged um, at what is in this bill, uh, the federal one, um, and that's why it's good to already see that pressure is, um, you know, forcing um, some of the aspects of it to, um, to be dropped but we have to keep pushing further because any win for the right uh, on this issue is going to open the door to more and more legislation like the one we see with Mark Latham. So what Mark Latham wants to do in New South Wales um, is uh, pass legislation that would uh, completely ban any discussion of transgender issues in schools uh, and make that a stackable offence. So as a transgender woman saying to be a teacher myself, um, this would basically, you know, close off the teaching profession to me entirely in this state. So that's what's at stake. But the bill federally um, is already a disgrace itself. It seeks to, um, you know, make even easier the right to discriminate that unfortunately do exist in New South Wales. So we've seen teachers like uh, Karen Pack and Seth Lent um, uh, forced out of their uh, teaching jobs uh, for their sexuality um, but a bill like this will only further encourage that, and that's what it's designed to do. Um, so I think, yeah, seeing it as we're under siege but we're fighting back um, is, a really, uh, is a really good way to, to see it and to understand that um, if we let this through, if we don't protest and fight back against this, they will keep coming back for more um, like they have in New South Wales. And if you piece everything together, I mean, and look at the gender-diverse community, I mean, you've got the education bill that Latham's pushing that would basically erase transgender teachers, not to mention trans students. And then you've got the statement of belief provisions within the religious discrimination bill that would mean that, you know, people could just say horrible things about, about trans folks. I mean, it's a huge attack on human rights, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think it's about trying to push back against a lot of the progress we have made. You know, over the last, uh, you know, decades of Australian history, people have protested, fought back, stood up for their rights very courageously, and that has really transformed the situation. You know, there was a campaign in this country for 13 years for marriage equality that involved protests every year, month in, month out, that grew larger and larger and really challenged people ordinary people to take our side, and they did. And the 2017 result really proved that we have majority now. 
and it would be even bigger today because it's even more, you know, uh, normalised and accepted. And that has flowed on very much so, I think, to issues around transgender rights. There's a long way to go. There's a lot of prejudice discrimination still. But things have improved because of that overall um, situation. So what the Christian right are trying to do here is turn that back. And very much they see the transgender issue as sort of the thin end of the wedge to do that. But definitely they want to keep coming back for, um, for you know, against not just like gay and lesbian people, but even bloody, you know, single mothers, divorced people, you know, the idea that it's more normal again to express really reactionary, right-wing, bigoted views against people like that and to actually threaten their livelihoods at work. Like, they want to make that normal again. Um, and we've actually had so much success uh, through our protest movements, our activism, people's bravery and courage. We've had so much success pushing back against that. But they're really uh, bitter about that, I think. Um, and, yeah, so seeing this as this is a a left-right battle in society. The left's been winning for a long time. The right are trying to claw it back. We're not going to let them do that. Of course, Mark Latham's uh, education bill in New South Wales has been described by numerous activists as being one of the most dangerous pieces of legislation introduced in Australia for many years. Has the new Premier, Dominic Perrottet, responded to that bill at all? As far as I know, um, hasn't said anything publicly about it, but even before he was in, and he's, uh, you know, a Trump-supporting, you know, Opus Dei Catholic who thinks the welfare system erodes the nuclear heterosexual nuclear family, you know, so we're dealing with a pretty uh, extreme guy here. But even before him, there were members of the Liberal Party and even a member of the Labor Party on the committee hearing who expressed in principle support for that bill. Um, and that uh, is both really, you know, um, scarily. You know, it reminds me of the situation in the United States where in basically every state legislature across that country, there are anti-LGBTI bills of one type or another. And so I think the federal bill is really going to set the tone for that. And, and, and forcing that down is really important. And part of the outrageous thing is that the right-wing Labor Party is actually, you know, pretty much backing this bill, you have to say. Um, you know, Albo has said he's never heard of a gay or lesbian teacher sacked from a religious school. <laughs> but tell that to Seth Lentz and Karen Pack. Um, uh, but also, yeah, it's actually supporting the idea that uh, religious schools should be able to, you know, quote, you know, uh, employ according to their religious ethos, which is just a way to say um, not employ LGBT people. So we can't look to the Labor Party at either of these levels to fight back against this stuff. Um, the other line they've tried to push, Labor, which I think is just appalling, is something that Richard Miles said a couple of years ago, which is that uh, homophobia is sort of the price to pay for multiculturalism, which I think is a really for, uh, outrageous form of baiting politics um, that tries to pit these two groups against each other. And these groups have actually both been, you know, victims of right-wing politics. The same people pushing the religious discrimination bill have been the ones pushing, um, pushing the, you know, uh, racist ideas in Australia for a long time. So it's a part of a broader act, act um, of the right wing that the Labor Party have only been capitulating to now, um, and it's really down to ordinary people to fight back. Um, that's how we got to where we are today. That's how we're going to keep going forward. It's a huge misstep, don't you think, from Anthony Albanese to make that comment about, about not being aware of people being sacked. Um, surely his office should have briefed him better, and surely, considering all the publicity around sackings, he would have, he would have, he would have known. Um, it kind of puts a question mark around his you know, sincerity on the issue, do you think? Well, that's 
the, the phrasing of it, I've never heard of that. Well, he can deny it, so he can plausibly deny it all he likes. And that's the point, is to uh, pick the most, you know, um, small target way to actually just capitulate to the Catholic Church uh, and the Anglican Church hierarchies and so on, who are very powerful people. They're not oppressed little minorities the way they try to talk about it themselves. They're very powerful, privileged organisations. The Labour Party doesn't want to stick up, uh, stand up against those. Um, and so they construct lines like this um, to try and hide behind it. Um, yeah, I just think this shows that we can't just try to appeal to the better nature of politicians. Um, you know, they are constructing all these lines behind uh, closed doors. They're trying to sort of figure out a way that they can um, cover their ass one way or the other. Um, the way we actually defeat bills like this is to understand the broader political project behind them, which is to normalise bigotry and to realise that if it goes through, that's the beginning, not the end of this battle. And so the way, again, we fight that is to demonstrate that there's no political capital in this uh, for politicians and the right wing to learn the lesson that every time they try, they're only going to provoke, you know, mass resistance from people. People are going to protest on the street. They're going to cause trouble. They're going to cause a fuss. They're going to disrupt traffic in marches. They're going to publicise openly, uh, you know, proud of it. They're going to challenge the homophobia even more uh, in schools and so on. Um, and that's why Community Action for Rainbow Rights, you know, are calling our protests next Sunday for the 5th of December. And we've got so many different groups on board because we recognise that, yeah, the politicians, they're on one side of this debate um, and it's ordinary people who are going to be on the other side. And people do need to take a stand and they do need to speak out, including, you know, the Labor Party, because you're absolutely right. Uh, if we allow this legislation through, what's next? Mm. Yeah, you know? exactly. What, yeah, what is next? And that's, um, that's typically what allows fascist and authoritarian regimes to ultimately flourish, because people don't nip it in the bud while they have the chance. And we're seeing that all around the world, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. You look at other countries, you see how bad things can get. Um, the UK as well is also, you know, there's a big anti-transgender backlash going on there. Um, uh, you know, in other countries, the situation's even worse. So there's nothing inevitable about the progress we make as a community. It's off the back of radical protest movements, of very active organisations uh, of ordinary people um, who don't just write letters to politicians asking nicely, but who recognise that... Um, yeah, like they don't care about it. <laughs> we, only we can look out for each other um, and, uh, and and fight back. And I think that can put sufficient pressure on uh, the parliament to actually drop this bill entirely. And that would send such a powerful message. Firstly, that Australia's, you know, people in Australia do not accept bigotry under whatever guise you try and put it. Um, they don't accept it no matter how much you try and, you know, um, uh, fiddle with the details and that the right should stop trying <laughs> to win a consolation prize after they lost so badly in 2017 in the marriage equality campaign. Times have changed. We have won. We're moving forward, um, and you're not going to stop us. Absolutely. Tell us about Community Action for Rainbow Rights. I know it's got a proud history of, of queer activism in Sydney. Yeah, well, it goes back to well before even when I was in, uh, started to get involved 10 years ago. It goes back to 1998. Uh, it started uh, as a yeah a radical activist organisation around um, questions of HIV, AIDS, um, and when in 2004 um, the Liberal government, with support of the Labor Party, banned marriage equality. It threw itself into organising demonstrations around that issue, 
And at first they were quite small. You know, only 30% of people in Australia supported marriage equality and they, people in that, in that proportion probably felt they were even smaller because it felt like such a, uh, a fringe issue almost or like no one else agreed with them. But by getting out there, even when they were smaller, we started to push back against that idea that it was a pipe dream or we should just accept, you know, civil unions as a sort of insulting halfway house. We started to build something in society um, where you could more openly say, firstly, obviously, that you are gay and that you have your equal rights. But, yeah, that you're for marriage equality and that's just a basic human right. Um, and that really changed the narrative in, in government as well. So even though for six years the, the Labor Party... Um, you know, went on about how, you know, they supported biblical values too or whatever. And, of course, we had the same crap from Howard and uh, Abbott and even Turnbull, um, you know, really started to keep the pressure on them until it was just like, yeah, they couldn't resist anymore. And the high point, really, of Carr's activity was that um, because we'd done all this work, when the Yes campaign and the Yes plebiscite um, uh, campaign was happening, it wasn't just the process of people putting an envelope in a box and that was the end of it. It was getting out there and really mashing through and really showing um, how, uh, you know, how welcome LGBTI people are in our society um, and should be. Um, and so we had 60,000 people out at the height of that campaign uh, at the, in the September 2017 protest during that campaign. I think that is really one, still one of the wounds that is smarting for the tiny conservative religious right uh, in Australia that they are trying to recuperate from. Of course, you mentioned Carr's rally on Sunday, December 5 in Sydney about the religious discrimination bill. What can we expect? Who will be speaking? Yeah, it's going to be a great day. So, um, as you said, next Sunday, the 5th of December, uh, 1pm up at Taylor Square in Sydney, uh, we're going to be hearing from a whole bunch of different speakers. We've got people like Lydia Shelley, who's a fantastic uh, Muslim uh, woman, lawyer, civil rights activist here in um, uh, Sydney. Uh, we've got you know people like myself speaking. We've got Joe Inkpin, um, who is uh, a priest at um, Pitt Street Uniting Church. Um, you know, really bringing the uh, community together um, and bringing progressive activists together and the whole population who are opposed to this to say. Um, you know, firstly, this bill is now sitting in this parliament and looks like it's not going to be um, uh, it's not going to be uh, moved uh, or be able to be voted on for the next few months. But we're already getting our side started, and you may as well drop this thing now because we're not going to make this easy for you. Um, and you know, these rallies are always so lively; they're so vibrant. They involve so many young people for whom this is often their first time getting involved politically or their first time being out and proud. Um, and, yeah, really encourage everyone to, to come out um, next Sunday, 1pm, um, 5th of December uh, at Taylor Square. Awesome stuff. We're out of time, but April Holcomb, thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. April Holcomb there. I am out of here. Jacob is up next with a Friday rave. Uh, we've got a week off next week because 3CR has its awesome day of Disability Day activist broadcasting from 7am to 7pm. I'll be back in a fortnight. Uh, taking us out is Jimi Hendrix. And, uh, yeah, stay safe.
Touching the promised land I hear pleas and prayers And a desperate whisper saying Oh Lord, please give us a helping hand It's burning And on across the water Boob I see Weapons barking out the sting of death And up in the clouds I can imagine you folks chuckle themselves <laughs> Laughing they sing Those people so uptight They sure know how to make a mess face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. <laughs> 